0: Today is Sunday, August 2nd, and you're listening to the MS is Mas- Messy podcast. This is your host, Kim Alvin, and I really appreciate you being here with all the demands on your time. And I know there's also a lot of demands and a lot of different podcasts to listen to. I just listened to Michelle Obama's yesterday, and it's so professionally produced as this isn't, but that's okay. Uh, it serves its purpose. I spent this week thinking about life and death and the quality of life as it relates to people with MS um, or any illness or disease. I have heard comments even from my own husband where a flippant statement is made like, if I have to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, then just kill me now. I take offense to these proclamations for a couple of reasons. The first one being that I feel that a person with disabilities can still live a very full and rewarding life. The second reason that this is a very myopic and selfish way to view the one life we've been given is that with very few exceptions, we matter to other people who would be destroyed if we prematurely ended our life. In my particular case, I can't imagine feeling like I had nothing to offer the world just because my legs don't work very well. While I am empathetic to people who suddenly find themselves unable to do all the things they used to do, I honestly believe that having a disability forces one to think outside the box to reinvent their life. I realize that it takes a lot of effort and imagination to rearrange your living situation after a sudden change in your health but reclaiming your independence makes the effort worth it in the end, I believe. I'm aware that my disability came on more gradually over many years, allowing me to become more accustomed to my new reality, but I have way too much to live for to ever contemplate ending my life prematurely. Shortly after I was diagnosed, I contacted the National MS Society to inquire about support groups. Unfortunately, at the time, The only group in my immediate area was one that consisted of mostly older, severely handicapped people who didn't inspire a lot of hope for a bright future. At that time, I had relapsing, remitting MS with no visible signs of illness at all. In fact, I would bounce into the meetings, all jovial and positive, while people looked at me crossways, wondering why I was even there. I now know that this was a form of discrimination on their part. In their eyes, I looked too good to be coming to this meeting with people in worse shape than myself. In fact, after going a few times, the leader of the group announced that the next topic that would be discussed would be assisted suicide. I was horrified, contacting the MS Society immediately to both report the support group leader and to request starting my own group. A representative from the local MS chapter came out to to interview me before I could indeed start my own support group, I had started to meet other young mothers who had recently been diagnosed, like my friend Eileen, who I will interview in an upcoming episode. I secured my church's meeting room, set a date and time, procured babysitters so participants could bring their kids while they attended free of charge, of course, and promoted the group and the church's newsletter and the local paper. We went from about four or five of us at the first meeting to a mailing list of almost 100 in just a year's time although we never had more than 15 or 20 at one time at a meeting. As a facilitator of this new support group, I took my position very seriously, spending hours every week lining up refreshments, childcare, and guest speakers. And having been in the workforce for so long, prior to my diagnosis, I treated this new challenge just like a job that I was not going to fail at. After a couple of years of leading this group, I started to get burnout but fortunately had a great co-facilitator that could step right in to take my place. I don't believe my old support or self-help group, as the MS Society calls them now, even exists anymore, but I am proud of the work we accomplished and the people we helped. There was this really nice older woman who had been living with MS for several years by the time she dropped in on one of our meetings. She came with her, her daughter, who had asked when it came her turn to talk about some of her mother's symptoms that were alarming her, curious that they might also be MS symptoms. Her mom was having shortness of breath and was real dizzy. If I recall, we counseled her to take her mom to either her neurologist or primary care physician right away because her complaints didn't sound like MS to the rest of us. Sure enough, the next meeting, this woman and her daughter came to the support group meeting to thank us profusely for helping them to seek medical attention. Because this woman went into her doctor and received a pacemaker that very same day. With tears in her eyes, this grateful woman told the group that if not for our prodding, she may have died from a heart attack. On another occasion, a man who worked as a landscaper shared with the group that he had been laid off from work because his employer said that he was jacking up their insurance rates because of the expensive MS treatments he needed. We contacted the government agency in charge of people's employment rights and helped him regain his position there are so many stories like these that made facilitating this group ultimately so rewarding but it started to take a toll on my own health eventually this has always been my challenge to be able to balance my desire to help others without going overboard by sacrificing my own health we had a big ex-football player named marcus that used to go to the group who was in pretty bad shape he struggled just to walk and talk and it was heartbreaking to see his everyday challenges he told me that when he walked in downtown wheaton where his apartment was, he got stopped continuously because he looked like he was drunk, and then he slurred his words on top of it. So when the cops started questioning him, um, they really thought that he was drunk. It didn't help that he was a big black man walking around in a very conservative town. I used to take him to appointments and to run errands when I could, but trying to get him and his walker into my car by myself was a joke. I'm not sure what happened to poor Marcus, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a happy ending. But like me, Marcus made lemonade out of lemons, and I really admired him for that, as I do all my fellow disabled friends who don't ask why me, but instead wake up every day making the most out of a very bad hand they've been dealt.